When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle, from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode on your Over the Monster podcast feed. Uh, we are back with you again right after the game, and uh, this time the spirits are a little higher. Red Sox coming off a big game to win. Uh, they take it 14-6 to down in Tampa. Uh, today it's just two of us. It is myself and Keaton in uh, Keaton. I think uh, we got basically the two polar opposite experiences with these first two games. And uh, fortunately, today today is the positive end of that spectrum. Yeah, um, without having watched the game, if you told me you got one inning and five runs out of Chris Sale, but walked away with a win, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it went from feeling very happy to very sad to very very happy. That was it. Was uh, I mean, it was all around great. Um, other than I guess Chris Sale. Uh, but sort of similar to the first game. Um, obviously, the result wasn't the same, but short outing and then a good relief appearance after, except instead of being pretty good like Nick Pavetta was on Thursday, uh, Tanner Houck was out of his mind uh, for five innings. But, um, yeah, I guess we could start there. I mean, it sort the game, I think the story of the game turned out to be the offense, but as I was watching it... Um, for most of it, it kind of felt like the Tanner Houck game. I mean, he was just, like I said, yep. I mean, he was unbelievable. He did give up one run um, on a solo homer that just barely cleared the fence, and maybe it was fan interference. It was extremely close either way, but um, five innings, five strikeouts. Uh, at one point, he had gone dating back to um, his second-to-last regular season outing. Uh, he retired 30 straight batters, um, a streak that was broken up by Wander Franco in this game. But, I mean, he's just been on a roll, and 
he's such he's such a big weapon especially i mean the stuff is obviously great but just the thing that stood out with him even going back to last summer when he made his debut is that he just never seems affected at all by the environment that he's in and that's obviously key for the playoffs and it's not changing. I mean, just he was, like I said, I mean, I, I think the offense is the story of the game, but Tanner Houck really stood out in a big way here. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, I mean, this outing was obviously huge and it kind of puts him up there with like the Evaldi Pedro postseason relief, relief appearance lore uh, with the Red Sox because the Red Sox didn't get all those runs back immediately. It took him until the fifth inning to take the lead again. Uh, and that was you know, after three innings of work from Tanner Houck. And to have the reassurance of the offense going up to bat that um, you could just kind of slowly claw it back, but you knew when Tanner Houck was on the mound, he wasn't going to give up any runs and give you a chance again in the top half of the next inning. It helps boost the confidence of the offense to keep rolling, keep clawing back, and then you know eventually they broke it open in the 7th, 8th, and ninth. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it is um, sort of approaching that pantheon that you were talking about. I, I don't expect that it would get that credit just because the game ended up being so lopsided and the offense took over and it doesn't, in hindsight, it doesn't look like that. But you're right. I mean, it didn't, when he came in, it felt like the game was essentially over. Um, it was only a three-run game, but just the, it felt deflating. And really, the uh, the Red Sox had a chance in the second right after an answer back when they got a leadoff single to start off the second and they didn't get it um it kind of felt like the game was over to me at that point and how how totally saved it you're right and i mean i think this we don't have to spend really much time at all on it but i think this offseason is going to be spent a lot of it is going to be spent wondering what the future is for tanner hunk and what his role is but i mean i said it other people said it um during his game tonight it almost doesn't matter what his role is because whatever he does, it's going to be exciting. I mean, he's just that kind of pitcher. He, he doesn't, he's not just good. He's like incredibly fun to watch. Yeah. Adding that sinker. And even tonight, he kind of had a feel for a change up a bit too, giving him five pitches to work with. That's pretty hard to kind of like, uh, specifically having this, the sinker working. I know there's been a lot of stories um, like kind of towards the end of the season about him kind of, um, by like chance picking that up in the beginning of the season, getting more and more comfortable with it. And it really kind of shows because he's able to mix his pitches really far more significantly than he was in the beginning of the season, keeping guys on their toes a lot more and just looks far more electric. And it just kind of continues to build his confidence with every single outing. Yeah. He had, um, he had five whiffs on the sinker. He threw nine of them. Um, he got seven that's swings and five of them were whiffs. I mean, that that's outrageous. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah, especially, insane. Especially for a pitch he just learned. Like, yeah. That is just wild feel. It's crazy. And I, I mean, his slider was, he had one slider that um, you'll see, you can just go to Pitching Ninja. I'm sure it's been retweeted like 500 times by now. The Franco um, one? Yeah, the one to Franco. I mean, that was <laughs> that was stupid. That can't be, yep. that can't be allowed. Um, but yeah, I mean, how, like I said, I think Hauk was one of the major stories and obviously the offense as well. The Red Sox scored 14 runs, um, got 20 hits. They had five home runs, four of which the first four came on two strikes, which I think, um, I think that's significant just in that the Red Sox have been really good, or at least in the first half, they were really good with two strikes, um, and two outs and that sort of came back here, um, just never really giving up in that bat and, 
Kike Hernandez and JD Martinez in particular stood out. They each had a home run. Kike had five hits, four of which went for extra bases. Uh, JD had four hits, um, obviously coming off that ankle injury. And just basically the entire offense was there. Hunter Renfro didn't have a great game. Christian Royal looked bad. Uh, Kyle Schwarber had some bad at bats. But the two through, mainly the two through eight guys, I mean, it was just an unstoppable machine that whole that whole lineup was just a force tonight and um i mean i think the key is that righties with velocity it seems like that's those are the guys that the red sox want to face and they got to baz they got to McHugh. McHugh doesn't have huge velocity but um i mean i think baz they just got in a rhythm early and that's it was just over from there yeah and this is kind of how we've seen the offense work all season so uh, i compiled some of these numbers before because that some things stood out to me kind of they, similar to what you were just outlining, but the batters two through six have 23 of the 29 hits in the series. The uh, seven, eight, nine, one are only six for 35, which is 171. But that's how the offense has, has really yeah. lived and survived all year. We've, I mean, how many times have we talked about uh, the top of the order being an issue and they've had, I don't know, probably six, seven, eight different leadoff hitters throughout the course of the season. We spent a lot of time talking about the bottom of the order uh, but even if they struggle, it doesn't matter because the, the middle of the order is so freaking good when they're going. And that's when the Red Sox have had their issues in scoring runs and not being able to string runs together. It's because that middle of the order gets neutralized. And you kind of saw it to an extent yesterday. The middle of the order had uh, seven of the nine hits yesterday. They were just all singles and couldn't put any together to score any runs. And that really is kind of the recipe for beating the Red Sox. The issue is whoever is in that two to six range is not going to be an easy out every single time they're up, and you're not going to be able to keep that offense down for long. And today was really kind of just that muscling out of uh, being stifled yesterday and kind of taking out some of that frustration. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's funny. You're right about that, um, especially with the leadoff spot all year. It's it's kind of ironic, though, that uh, Kike was a big part of the offense tonight. He, was in, he hit second in this game, but he was – um, at least in the first half, he was the guy we're kind of pulling our hair out in the leadoff spot about for a lot. Um, early in the season but yeah i mean you were talking about how to beat the red sox i think the red sox figure out how to beat the rays or at least i mean it's easier said than done it's the happy gilmore scene where he gets a hole in one and he says oh i'm gonna just do that every time that's way easier but the, we talked <laughs> we spent uh the whole first after the first game the whole podcast basically talking about the rays defense and their positioning and how it's so hard to get hits off them while the one place they can't position their uh fielders is in the stands and you hit the ball over the fence, there's nothing they can do about it. The Red Sox hit five home runs, and I know people say that October is for small ball and all that, but, I mean, it's just it's it's not the case. You, especially against a team like the Rays, who are going to play great defense, and they're gonna they're not going to give you a lot of walks. It's going to be hard to string together those rallies. you got to hit the ball over the fence, so the Red Sox, um, I mean, they just put, I'm not expecting five home runs every game, but yeah. it's nice to see them taking advantage of some mistakes and really punishing them, and punishing them in the air and not hitting grounders or low line drives and seeing Devers get one too and not look uncomfortable on the swing seemed like a positive step JD too I mean they both the two injured guys um Devers didn't have a huge game the home run was his only hit he did draw two walks though um but yeah I mean that home run um I saw I should know um who said this but I don't remember where I read it but somebody was talking about his injury um wrote an article today about his injury and it said that it hurt when he swung and missed, but when he made contact, it didn't. Um, 
I don't know enough about the human body to understand how that works, but um, I'll take his word for it. And yeah, you're right. It certainly didn't look like it hurt uh, when he hit that home run, and that home run was a bomb. Yeah. So that, that kind of falls into the theme of the night, right? Well, if it doesn't hurt when you make contact, then just make, <laughs> just contact, make contact every time. <laughs> it's that easy. Yeah. Um, bullpen pitched pretty well. Um, obviously, we talked about Hauk. He was outstanding. But after Hauk, uh, three guys came in. Ryan Brazier came in. Was unbelievable. Brazier is just on one right now. I don't understand. I don't. Every time he comes <laughs> in, I still get a little nervous. But he came in. He struck out the side. Um, all three batters he faced. He's, I mean, he's up there with Whitlock and Robles right now. I mean, I guess Hauk is there too, but he's, Hauk is going to be out of commission, I'm guessing, for at least the next game, um, probably the next two. Is it like Whitlock, Robles, Brazier now? Am I forgetting something? Maybe Josh Taylor if the matchups call for it, but I mean, it, Brazier is in that group and it happened in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Um, that is, I believe, exactly the three, the order of the three that I had. So on the uh, the preview pod a couple of days ago, uh, we talked about like ranking the bullpen arms and how confident you are. And I'm pretty sure that was the Whitlock was the number one for all of us. Yeah. Robles with the way he's been going. And then Brazier. And Brazier's one of those guys that, particularly with bullpen guys, Cora, like, just. He finds a guy and really kind of sticks with him for better or for worse. And more often than not, it works out. Brazier's one of those guys. There's been a lot of times where I've had just absolutely no faith in Brazier, but Cora keeps going to him. And he's kind of repaying that faith with him now with this extended run of success that he's had that um, coming in in a pinch in the situation to get three strikeouts, uh, limit the damage, and get out of it was huge. Yeah, and did it quickly. I mean, 13 pitches. Um, his slider was awesome i mean he threw a few just nasty sliders the velocity was up on his fastball he's he's looking he's looking like he did in 2018 which is a very good thing um robles also came in um looked good did give up a hit but struck out two didn't give up a run um i think robles um is obviously pretty established in that late inning situation and then matt barnes came in for the ninth um matt barnes was added to the roster before this game garrett richards uh was taken off the roster with a hamstring issue so the red Sox do make it into the alcs richards cannot be there for that but uh barnes came in for some uh, i guess mop-up duty it was um i don't know if it's still mop-up if you're leading but he came in for blowout duty uh an eight-run lead he did not look good he walked a couple guys, gave him a hit, but still didn't give up a run. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's really worth talking much about Barnes right now just because that's probably a conversation for the offseason. But at this point, yeah. he's just he's just a low-leverage guy, and that's what he was today. And it was kind of infuriating to watch, and it was annoying because I just wanted to get the game over with so I could get better <laughs> yeah. earlier. But uh, no harm, no foul. It, it is what it is. Yeah, and a small correction I found my list. It was Whitlock, Hauk, then um, yeah. Robles and Brazier. And I think Hauk is still obviously there too. It's just, yeah, like, like I said, throwing five innings today, he's at least not pitching the next game. Yep. Um, and we've, we've put it off, but, um, I mean, there was one glaring negative in this game. Uh, we mentioned it, but, uh, we should probably spend a little more time on it. Chris sale just was not good. Um, I will say, I think he was hurt a little bit by Kyle Schwarber playing first base. Um, Schwarber cannot move 
over there. His range is about four inches um, in either direction. So there were a couple balls that I thought he could have at least knocked down. Maybe that changes the inning a little bit, but even if Sale maybe doesn't give up those runs in the first and goes a little bit longer, it was never going to go well with him. Um, he didn't have it. That changeup is just not a pitch he can use right now, and it's killing him to be a two-pitch guy. Um, the grand slam to Luplo at the time at least, felt like the real backbreaker, and it was the backbreaker for his outing. And, I mean, that was a fastball pretty fairly, I mean, not significantly above the zone, but it was, like, safely above the zone, and Luplo was able to catch up with his ease and put it over the fence. And, I mean, I think that more than anything says where Sale is right now, that he's he's got to be able to get that fastball by guys, and it was destroyed. Yeah. Um, last start, we kind of saw him start to move away from his changeup, limiting self, himself to being a two-pitch pitcher. Uh, and they're, both of those pitches are just not where he needs them to be. And we yeah. pretty much saw that continue this start. He threw one changeup in the 30 pitches that he threw. So he basically abandoned it and was just going slider fastball. And they were both slightly down. Um, on the pitch velocity compared average pitch velocity compared to the season um so i just think it's kind of getting a little bit of wear on him now and not only that he's just struggling to locate it too he got zero whiffs on his fastball yeah uh, and if you're starting from there that's an uphill battle yeah absolutely i mean chris sale like pete chris sale a few years ago 2017 2018 chris sale can get by without a changeup, um because Pete Crisale, his fastball is actually like three different pitches and his slider is good enough that he could probably throw that every time and um, be fine. But yeah, he's just not that guy right now. And again, this is another conversation that I think we'll have a lot in the off season. And there's something to be said about coming off Tommy John and all that. I don't, I don't know that hitting the panic button for the duration of Chris sales contract is necessarily uh, the most rational move right now. But I think in the short term, being worried about Chris sale is absolutely rational and, um, I mean, does he start another game in the series? We we're at least guaranteed a game four now. Um, and even that's up in the air, um, as to who starts, but if, if they get to a game five, are you willing to put Chris sale out there? Cause I don't know if I am. I don't think I am. Yeah. It's not a great feeling. <laughs> no, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's gotta be Hauk, right? I don't um, know. It's because... really short rest though. Yeah, well, so I think, I mean, I don't think there's any plan right now, and I don't think there can be. I think you just gotta hope that Evaldi gives you um, a good start on Monday, and he gets through, like, five or six, and you can save some of those bullpen arms, and then, um, but I think they're just gonna basically just try and patch things together um, for game four and game five if it ends up being necessary, but... um, because yeah, I mean this it's amazing that they were able to split these two games with their starters going a combined um two and two thirds innings. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I, I mean they both days I mean they might as well have been using an opener uh for these games because uh both starters don't make it out of the second inning and then or don't make it uh sale didn't even make it to the second inning and then Pavetta goes four and two thirds and out goes five. I mean it's it's not how they drew it up, but at the end of the day, you go into a five game series as the road team, um, you're just looking for one win in those first two games and they got it and now they have home field advantage. It's 
I'm still kind of wrapping my head around how quickly things turned from yesterday. Yeah, and I also briefly just forgot that Nick Pavetta exists. He's probably your Game 5 starter. Assuming that you don't then need him to piggyback Eduardo Rodriguez again. Well, that's what I think the issue is. Because <laughs> yeah. I think I think he might be the Game 4 starter, honestly. Um, and if he's not, I think then um, you're at least having a very, pretty good idea that you're going to have to use him in that game. So I, that's why I said you're kind of patching it together, and it depends on the context. If you can avoid yep. using Pavetta somehow... Um, that would be great, but I don't know. But like I said, they're still they as long as it's not Martin Perez. Yeah. Oh God, I didn't even think of that. A lot of stuff's gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna be Alex Vertugo, apparently. Um, yeah, I saw that to be a two-way player. He's convinced. He said by 2023 he will be uh, able to pitch in the leaf. I think. I think huh. he had talked about this before, okay. and I think his idea was just to be a guy that a team the team could go to in a blowout to save their relievers, which I guess, but. I don't know. Again, this is a conversation for the offseason, but yeah, that's a story that came out today. Alex Verdugo has his heart set on pitching, so um, that'll be an interesting thing to monitor this weekend. Um, anything else from this game that I haven't touched on yet? Got a Danny Santana appearance? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think we covered it all. I think we got it, too. Um, so yeah, um, we're not going to record a podcast tomorrow, obviously, because... We need a day off. Um, so we can do game three predictions this time. Uh, I don't want to brag, but we kind of nailed it. Not with the score. I don't think any of us got the score even remotely close, but we did. Nope. All three of us uh, <laughs> did call Red Sox wins. Last one. So what do you got for uh, game three? It's Evaldi against uh, Rasmussen, right? Yeah, Rasmussen. Yeah. I'm going to go three nothing Red Sox. I'm going to go five to one Red Sox. Evaldi goes seven shutout. And, uh, yeah, that oh boy would that feel great. This this is this is why would, this game in particular was huge because now you get Evaldi. now you've got Evaldi going at home and you feel like you've got all the momentum of the series on your side. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I think this is a why, big one. That's why Sales' poor first inning felt so deflating because it felt yeah. like the beginning of the it end felt- of the entire series. Yeah, it felt like the series. I mean, um, we don't name names, but somebody in our group. Uh, our group DM may or may not have sent a broom emoji a little prematurely, um, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think anybody pushed back on it either. So yeah. um, things things swung very quickly for the better. Um, but yeah, I think that'll do it for today's show. Uh, it's getting a little late here, so we'll wrap this one up. But I hope you guys enjoyed what you heard. Uh, if you did, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, leave us a rating and a review, if applicable, on those platforms. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account, at Over the Monster. Uh, Keaton is at the Spoken Keats. And uh, you can find all of our writing at OverTheMonster.com. And uh, we'll be back with you uh, Monday morning.